did you? Uh, Matt Bruning is dodging his responsibilities on this bet that he lost on Kyle Pitts. He is avoiding singing the Michigan fight song. We're going to get to that. Chris Moxley is defending Jimbo Fisher for some reason. But we've got Elite 11 going on. David Nipple at Solving Football, a contributor for Campus to Canton, is on site in Redondo Beach, California. Um, David, you're through at least day one, and you're into day two. Who has stood out to you as far as performing uh, through two days of the competition? Yeah, I'll just go through some of the top guys for me from day one. Um, the first guy, I was I was a little worried I wasn't going to like him as much in person, but um, Dante Moore came in as my QB1, and that's going to solidify um, after the first day. I was worried his arm wasn't going to be very strong, but to me, it looked it, – it was one of the stronger, stronger arms I saw all day, to be honest. Uh, definitely in like the top quarter, I would say. Um, and I, he just played the most freely. He he definitely like loves the moment, and he enjoys the competitive environment. So he was definitely the top dog for me. Um, after that, uh, Malachi Nelson. He was just super solid as he always. This is the second time I've seen him live. Like his ball placement is is pretty special. Uh, his arm is strong. Uh, you know, he's just a smooth player in general. Um, and then after that, uh, there's been a lot of buzz around the around the um, the recruiters and the and the scouts um, about Austin Novosad and Jackson Arnold. Both of those guys were like really accurate, um, really good mechanics, quick releases. They're just they're just super rock solid quarterbacks. Um, those were the those are the four I think that stood out the most for me on day one. David, is there anyone that's disappointed you? Uh, this is the second time I've seen him live, um, and he's got a lot of hype because he's going to Alabama. But Eli Holstein, I just I can't get over his mechanics. Uh, he's got a really long wind up. It's just it's just this it's a really long delivery, and it's like almost a non-starter for me. Um, he's got all the physical traits. And I'm assuming Alabama thinks that they can fix that, which you know I hope I hope that they can. But just seeing him again in person, I just I, I don't love the mechanics. Just looking from Twitter, you know, it seems like the event is really really big, and I'm mad that I'm glad that you're out there. I'm mad that uh, that we haven't sent more people out there. Um, any people, any of any people that you're running into, you know, not. Not the competitors. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of, uh, you know, notable football talents out there and football personalities. Yep. So the coolest surprise, I think, from the event was there was four college quarterbacks that participated in pretty much all the drills, even like the breakaway um, station, you know, to test their ball velocity. So that was um, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud. Um, USC, Caleb Williams, North Carolina State, Devin Leary, and UCLA's Dorian Thompson-Robinson. All four of those guys came out. They're the counselors for the event, and they participated in all the events. And you can actually see, I mean, their ball velocity and, like, their physicality as quarterbacks is just, I mean, it's it's to be expected. They're pretty seasoned at this point, but there's a huge difference between those guys and the high schoolers. Uh, you can find David at Solving Football uh, on Twitter. David, we appreciate you reporting live from Redondo Beach. Thank you, man.
All right. Thanks, Felix. It is the Debbie debate. We're covering everything. If there is an event um, uh, happening in college football, we'll have someone there or, or we will be covering it in some respect. Matthew has been doing a great job on the YouTube channel, getting these recruiting videos out and discussing commitments. There are five people on the screen today for those listening to this podcast. One person is very much not welcome. And you know what? Quite frankly, I don't even think we should say his name. I just don't think that we should say we should not acknowledge him or say his name at all. Uh, that's that's what that's I fine. think. I'll sit quiet. Um, hey, Colin, welcome have, to the show. I, I've thanks, guys. I have seen the numbers, and there are more people pouring in not only to the website but also to this particular podcast. Um, and you know, we we appreciate the growth, but we tell a lot. There are a lot of inside jokes. Uh, on this particular show. A lot of inside jokes on on this particular show, and I feel like we should always reset. Um, Matt Bruning, the Ohio State fan, the Ohio State homer, he and I, when this show first started, would essentially just yell at each other uh, uh, the entire show, and Austin would sporadically and timidly comment on on something. And uh, Austin Nace, the aforementioned Austin Nace, is the one who's always playing defense against the show, saving his takes. This is a debate show. Saves his takes for before we're recording or after, or after we've, we've stopped recording. Always watering down his opinion for the microphone. Always watering down, watering down his opinion for the microphone. That's why we do the lukewarm take segment chris moxley who was here used to be our our statistician going back to austin speaking of which we are in day 248 by my count of of austin playing defense against the show and preventing his mother from coming on who we've been trying to get as a guest on this show for for some time 248 days since we've been counting there's alfred fernandez who is not on this show but is a co-founder at campus2camp.com, and he doesn't consume any of the content that we produce. So we are always uh, putting out Easter eggs for him, having our listeners tag him with stuff. And um, so that's a very, very quick summary. We do have football today. We do have football today. And um, I think I want to start, Chris, with your article on defending Jimbo Fisher because of how highly ranked that 2022 class was. And obviously that included both sides of the ball, skill position players, but they do have Evan Stewart there, very highly touted wide receiver. They do have LJ Johnson, there, a very highly touted running back group. And you wrote an article in defense of Jimbo and his development of NFL talent. Why don't you just take us through why you decided to write that and what your takeaways were um, following taking taking on that task? So I I was actually listening to the show last week when I wasn't on. Um, you know, I consume our content. I, I think it's good stuff. I, I like y'all. And um, there was a, a discussion. I, I think Matt brought it up. He's like, well, I would include him, but he's a Jimbo Fisher guy or something something of that vein and it got me thinking i was like is he really that bad like does do we have data to support the um 
you know, the notion, and it's often discussed by all of us, really, that he can't develop talent. They just put them in the NFL, especially wide receivers, is really, um, really the question at, at hand, right? And so I looked through all of Jimbo's classes since he's been a head coach, and I came up with a couple takeaways. First, despite having generally like a top eight, top six class, those are uh, offensive linemen and defensive players for the most part. Um, they There are very few wide receivers who are in his top 100, for example, or the, the, the nation's top 100, for example. So 27% of his recruits have been top 100 players. If we compare that to someone like Nick Saban, Saban's up there at uh, 46%. Urban Meyer, when he was at Ohio State, 43%, right? This is a guy who isn't getting high-end recruits at the same rate. And so downstream, it's harder to develop players. So we know what players, uh, like what they hit at. So like when they get drafted or what they, what day they get drafted around to get drafted. And even with all of those um, things he has working against them, especially at the receiver position, again, he's putting talent into the NFL at a higher rate than national average. And, and, and so my big takeaway was two, two things. One, he hasn't had the talent to develop. He hasn't, um, if we if we want to blame anything, we could blame the recruiting. And I think that's a fair blame, but I wouldn't blame the development um, because he's still putting players into the NFL at a 34% higher rate than his counterparts. Second is this class that he has is different than anything he's ever had. He's had a five, one five-star receiver previously. He has two in this class, Evan Stewart and Chris Marshall. I don't think it's fair to judge this class against what he's previously done because he just hasn't had that same level of talent. And so if he fails, again, let's see, right? Let's see what happens. But he's doing it at a good rate. He's putting every other position in the NFL. So I think we should back off the whole Jimbo sucks train. I think when it comes to kind of calculating these things, like I've been thinking about this all week, Chris, um, because there's – there's no reasonable uh, approach that leads you to Jimbo Fisher is a good developer of talent. So I've been thinking about this, trying to to kind of wrap my mind around what you said. And I think there needs to be some sort of a bifurcation of what we can like. Did the player achieve draft capital? Was the player actually good? I think there needs to be both of those things considered to, in tandem for us to kind of consider someone a a, a plus. Uh, a developer of talent uh, and honestly, probably a, a plus evaluator because he's not done a particularly good job of evaluating talent, in my opinion. Um, he, because we talk about, you know, he's had all these first round quarterbacks. He's had Christian Ponder who suckered some poor NFL team into it. He had EJ Manuel. He had, I mean, Kellen Mond is probably as a prospect on the level of those two guys. And he were just unlucky apparently that some stupid franchise didn't decide to leap into that. Like there's all these guys that, that have gone there and almost none of them have actually been good in the NFL. I think there is something to be said for that. You can point to a lot of other guys. I mean, you can point to, to, to a, a Steve Sarkeesian who has had probably just as good of a run, if not better developing talent. These guys have actually been good in the NFL. I mean, I think there's a lot of other places you can point, and, and say, you know, not only were his players getting draft capital, they were actually good. Because I think a lot of the development happens, maybe not at quarterback, but at running back, at wide receiver, before you get to the NFL. You don't learn how to play those positions in the NFL. If you don't know by then, it's already over for you. 
Chris has some very dramatic reactions there. But but Chris, I mean, essentially what we're getting at is we only have so many picks to invest in in Debbie in C2C leagues. And Felix wants also, us to have more picks, damn it, by the for the right. <laughs> which is another which is another aside, which is another aside. But what Austin is saying is is despite, you know, your statistics that you threw out there, he has not proven that you that he that you should invest some of those picks in his players and his skill position players. So let me let me say two things. One, leaving off Jameis Winston, the most like the number one pick, it, that, that is selection bias. Second, middling, middling. The the standard in a campus to canyon league cannot be a player hits and is successful in the NFL. Like like he gets drafted and is successful. Then we're talking about two, three percent hit rates on all of our picks. Like it has to end somewhere. Like we have to acknowledge that being drafted in let's say the, the first three rounds is a good thing. Only 19 players do that on average every single year. Like we offensive skill position players that end up end up be having any value in rookie drafts. He's doing that. Devonta Freeman, Cam Akers. Um like he he's uh, as I Spiller was drafted in the fourth round. Like even if you don't like him, we liked him pre-draft. Like these are players that he's developing and putting into the league at a higher rate than others. And we can we can like knock the fact that they haven't had the same success as other coaches, but he's put the the fifth most players in the NFL. Like at what point do we just say okay, like he can put guys in the league? That's good. Eventually they'll hit. Like I I just I I don't know why we're we're aiming for such a high bucket that never gets hit in C two C anyway. We're already dealing with such low hit rates. Like that just feels like an impossible ask. Like nobody's doing this except like Nick Saban and Ryan Day, maybe on a consistent basis. I think that's that's my issue when you guys bring this up and saying you got to attack schools that produce. Okay, so who is it? Is it Georgia running backs, anything Alabama and Ohio State wide receivers, and then what? Because nobody else in college has a real consistent track or Felix will hit me with uh, whatever the hell to do, a PJ flex development of wide receivers, whatever. We can go there too if you want. But there's not really been a long, consistent track record. So I think the biggest thing is, like Moxley mentioned, he also hasn't had a wide receiver like Evan Stewart, which is where this discussion started last week. He had it in DeMond DeMoss, and I think we can all admit there was clearly off-the-field stuff that probably – Matt, aren't you making Austin's point in saying that, that no one else has been consistent – including Jimbo Fisher. So there's no reason to prioritize his skill position players amongst a, a, a lot of other schools. He's been so much me, better, though. If you'd let me get to my point, though, really quick. Just really quick, before you interrupt me, let me like finish the point. So the rest of my point was that you may be right on that part, but I think the difference was we're knocking Evan Stewart as a talent because he landed with Jimbo Fisher when Moxley just pointed out that he's actually putting these players in the NFL. So if we believe in the talent of Evan Stewart, maybe we shouldn't knock where he's going just because Jimbo hasn't put a wide receiver into the first round. Besides Kevin Benjamin, who went in the first round. I mean, he's practically a tight end, but that's a fair point. Just just saying. Well, that's that. That is that. This is going to be a very sporadic show where we're going to jump around into a few things because I basically sent the guys bullet points as far as topics with no structure. Matthew, when are you going to pay off your bet? Uh, Kyle Pitts did not have 1,300 yards receiving or whatever it is that you thought. You need to sing the damn Michigan fight song. When's it happening? 
I don't know. You set a date. I'm not going to half-ass it, so I'm not doing it today because I don't even... I honestly didn't realize they had a, a fight song. I believe it's called uh, Hail to the Victors, which... I mean, I knew they had that's a right. fight song, but that's, that's right. a horrible name for a team that really doesn't done much winning lately. But regardless, I will learn the lyrics and I will sing the song, you know, to the best of my knowledge or to the best of my ability. I don't want to half-ass it here today. So you give me a Wednesday that you want me to do it and I will be prepared and ready to go. But it's not happening. I want to look up the Michigan, the uh, Ohio State, Michigan all time. Fifty nine, fifty six, and one. I know that offhand because I'm an actual fan. But you know, hey, whatever. Okay, okay. So it's there's a and who has the edge? Is it Ohio State? Michigan? No, Michigan has more wins. Fifty nine. Oh wait, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. They do. Okay. Yeah. So still, still losing Ohio State record, but but a lot of won't be much for long when you guys hit that Uh, next ten year losing window again. The, the other thing that I, I want to bug you about is this conversation about Braylon Allen. Uh, you tweeted earlier this week about Allen being a top 10 or being RB10 for you and how, you know, you are lower on him than consensus. But then I looked at your ranks and you have him at RB7. So, I mean, is it something – did something change between June 27th and today? And, I mean, what are your – Give us your concerns with Braylon Allen. So when you looked at the rankings, did you look at them with the freshman in there? Probably. I don't know. Listen, I just looked at the he rankings. He did not. I mean, so. There's a 0% chance. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't. I, in, in fairness to him, I didn't realize that was there for a long time either. So I was doing the same thing. He brought up that Devin Brown issue we had earlier. when I was like, he's ranked behind Kyle McCord. He wasn't. Uh, no, he is RB10 for me. It's more of just, and I don't even want to say us here because I think Austin has him at RB7 or 8. Someone else has him ranked, I want to say low because we all have him top 10, but I just feel like every time I look at these mocks and everything, he's going somewhere in like RB3 to 5 range. You have him at RB8. Okay, so, you know, again, you're you're not far off from where I have him. There's just this thought, it seems like, in the community that he's a can't-miss prospect because of what he did as a 17-year-old last year, and I just don't think that's a fair thing to him to say and a smart thing to bet on, and that's just kind of my biggest thing. Again, so we've kind of, I feel like we've talked a lot about him, so I don't want to drag this discussion on, but I feel like Austin said it before. Like We have not seen many running backs at his size succeed at the NFL level. It's just been Derrick Henry, and I believe Brandon Jacobs – I think he has not shown anything receiving-wise. Grandy is probably going to go out there and smash this year because Wisconsin's schedule is is hot garbage. So he's likely going to go out there and succeed again. I just think there's a lot of things that he needs to improve on, including vision and just the nuances of the running back position. Doesn't mean he can't. As as I'm sure, if you guys didn't know, you're listening to this. He was only 17 years old last year. If you didn't know that, I'm I'm just gonna let you. Know. I know, Chris. I know, right? I had no idea either. He was only 17 years old, so he's definitely got time to improve. But I think just betting that he is Bijan and Travion Henderson because of what he did last year is, is a, in my opinion, a bad bet to make, and I'm willing to to be wrong on that. You you don't think that he's locked in for day two draft capital? I mean, he has the size. He has decent athleticism for that size, and he's going to be productive. I feel that that locks him in for day two draft capital. So you said, like, can't miss prospects. I don't know that he's a can't miss, but I feel like he's going to be taken in the second or third round. If he continues to improve, probably. But that's the thing. I think if if you were to say he just continues to do what he did last year, I don't know that he will. I just think there's a lot of things he's – I understand that he's big and he's got speed and he looked good last year, but there's things that he could improve on. 
That's what I want to see. And I, I don't think he's a can't miss, but if you talk to other people, they will tell you he is because of what he did as a true freshman. I think some people over-evaluate that, especially because he was – like that's the thing that goes into this analysis. He's a true freshman. He was only 17 years old, and he did this against a tougher competition. Like that's not the end-all, be-all, though. There, he can still improve as a prospect. It feels like some people don't think that's true. Like he's already a finished prospect. I, but you have like Will Shipley in front of him. Who... Right now, yeah, because of the receipt. Okay, but we're attacking this from a fantasy position, right? I'm not an NF. I'm not going as NFL talent. Braylon Allen has shown me nothing from the receiving side of things. So if you're betting on him being Derrick Henry, well, simply really hadn't either. He's shown more receiving upside than Braylon Allen has. Has he not? Off the top of my head, that's I. I remember him having some better receiving plays last year than than Braylon Allen. I, I could be wrong on that, but I think he's a better receiver than that than Braylon Allen. I. You're betting on Braylon Allen being Derrick Henry then. If he doesn't show you anything in the receiving game, there's been all of one Derrick Henry in the NFL. From a fantasy point of view, I want a guy who can do more for me. So, yes, I have Will Shipley ranked ahead of him. I So, the one thing I'll add here is that I wonder what the Wisconsin running back room is going to look like or production is going to look like moving forward. Um, they lost Joe Rudolph this offseason, who was their offensive line coach since like 2014 or 2015. It, he would join uh, Brent Pye's prize staff at Virginia Tech. I think that's a big loss. I, didn't, I, I think we might not see the same level of production that we've seen previously, despite Paul Chris still, still being there. Like, Joe Rudolph's a really good offensive line coach. So, like, that could impact Braylon Allen. And, and just to point out, this is not an Eric Gilbert situation here because I was a little bit worried. I, I just you know, screwed myself again with saying something, not remembering Braylon Allen, eight catches for a whopping 39 yards last year. Will Shipley 16 for 116, 7.3 average in just 10 games. Like he's a better receiver. Braylon Allen just isn't. And again, it's fine if he turns into Derrick Henry and you bet on him as the third running back in your C2C drafts. Great. Then you did get it. But I think you're betting a lot on that when there's running backs who've already proven more. Yeah. I And that, I guess that's the issue that I have with the argument is that, we're saying, all right, Braylon Allen hasn't shown anything or there's still uncertainty um, uncertainty with his profile, but I feel like there's still uncertainty with both Zach Evans and Will Shipley, who you have ranked ahead of them. That's, I guess that's, that's all I'm, I'm saying. I think there are more paths to both of them being fantasy options, though, and I yeah. think, again, a lot of it is because of their receiving game. Like, even if Will Shipley is an average rusher, he can still be a 1B somewhere. If if uh, Braylon Allen doesn't ever develop that, then he's basically a two down thumper in the NFL, probably or a goal probably. line. I mean, back. I, I mean, I know that that there are Derrick Henrys out there, but they're just you don't find them that often, and you really have to kind of be like Derrick Henry was not great for the years in the NFL until he figured it out. You're kind of betting that that Braylon Allen can do the same thing. I'm not I'm not saying he can't, but I just it's think a big, there's not as many paths there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's my argument. Maybe I'm not articulating that correct, because I think you're taking a bigger risk on the bet of Braylon Allen. It could pay off massively for you if he turns into Derrick Henry. But some of these other running backs just have an easier way to fantasy success, which is what we're doing here. I'm not talking about like NFL stuff. I don't care. If he gets day two draft capital, great. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it or shouldn't be there. I'm talking about just straight fantasy success. If you're talking about just a guy who's going to run the ball, 
not get you any receiving work. We've seen those guys in the NFL. You have to be special or be in the perfect offense. A Derrick Henry, even Nick Chubb, who doesn't get that much receiving work, is typically at the back end at best RB1 value because he doesn't get receiving work. And he's smaller, faster than Braylon Allen. Like There's just a lot, I think, working against him from the fantasy side of things, not as a football player. If you're, if you're listening to this and you're a college football fan and you aren't subscribed to CampusToCanton.com, you need to be. I mean, you see the passion that we put into our work here on the podcast. We put the same passion into uh, the website and our YouTube page. So go ahead and subscribe to CampusToCanton.com. Prices starting for just $2.99 a month. It has been our objective to be uh, accessible to pretty much anybody, and we have continued uh, to do that into our second year. We've partnered with Sharp Sports on YouTube. Go ahead and subscribe to his channel as he uh, jumps to, he's on the road to 300,000 subscribers. Dynasty Trades HQ and Rookie Fever all have promo codes to get you a little bit off, but come and join this wave. Campus to Canton, it is the most fun format that you can have out there, especially, especially, um, when you're making crazy trades with Austin like I did this morning. And then, of course, hopefully you're listening to this podcast on the Campus to Canton podcast feed and are enjoying all of the other uh, audio content that we have to produce. Chris Moxley, I want to come to you on uh, The Athletic, kind of picking up on some criticism against the University of Florida, against Billy Napier, as far as – Florida not being able to land uh, Jaden Rashada as a football recruit and really seemed to be struggling under Billy Napier in recruiting. Billy Napier even going as far as to uh, uh, publishing an open letter in the local newspaper, having not even um, uh, coached a game yet for the team, but just to calm his base down. I mean, give us a summary of what's going on there and what your takeaway is. Yeah, the open letter was a lot. When was the last time you saw an open letter from a coach, organization, athletic director at any level, even at the professional level, when they were either entering a rebuild or they weren't on the hot seat? That That is quite problematic from uh, Billy Napier's perspective, in my opinion. And it was timed perfectly with the, with the Rashada commitment. Um, like I, I think he knew that they were out. And, and so he was just kind of, you know, trying to calm everybody down a little bit. It's concerning though. I, I think there's a lot of concerns from like Billy Napier and the job they're doing. He was not a prolific recruiter or like an amazing recruiter at Louisiana. Like his track record prior to Florida is not that impressive. I think his best class was like the 69th, like 16th rank 69th. I think there's questions about whether or not he can recruit at the SEC level and he's losing commits. To Miami, who, of course, Miami has, um, you know, a lot of money and funding behind Mario Cristobal, but it's Florida and the SEC. Like, you have to be doing a better job than Dan Mullen, and a lot of people are starting to act like, or say, like, it's Dan Mullen all over again. And I'm I'm not really one to argue with them quite yet, because I haven't seen the what you would expect from an SEC-level coach like Billy Napier. And it kind of backs up his track record, which hasn't been that good recruiting-wise anyway. Austin, Matt, any takes on Florida and, 
you know, are we is are we too early to judge on a guy who hasn't even been with the program for a year yet? I I think so. I mean, I, I don't know that I had I didn't and I don't want to say it's a bad hire. I wasn't didn't think it was a great hire. There's some Florida fans we were talking about either before or right at the beginning of the show that think it, it was a decent hire. I do think he's a good coach. I, I do think the fact that Florida has kind of struggled recently may play into that as well. I want to give him a couple years. I mean, if he goes out there with Anthony Richardson this year and, and Anthony Richardson plays as good as some people think he will or think he's going to, and they have a winning record, they do some things in the SEC, like the recruits will come just because of that. We'll see how the NIL effect goes into that because that's a big thing as well. Like, I don't want to write him off right now just because he didn't get Jaden Rashada. Like, I mean, I just went and looked at Alabama's class, and granted, Nick Saban typically kicks it into gear like at this right around this time every single year and gets a high end class, but. The only wide receiver he's in on right now that he just got, I just did a video on. He's the 40th ranked wide receiver in this class. I don't know that he's going to even really be that good. He's mostly like a slot guy. Like Florida still has time to get some guys. Just because they missed out on one top QB prospect doesn't mean like they're they're going to lose and be a horrible team moving forward. Go ahead, Austin. The quarterback piece, I think, is a because if you look, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know where we draw the line anymore. Borderline blue. Blue blood programs. I don't know, whatever. But Florida right now, according to the 24-7 composite, has the 34th ranked class in the country and the 39th according to just the 24-7 rankings. There's another big-time school with a, a brand-new head coach who is actually doing worse than them on the recruiting trail, but they've gotten their quarterback, and so you don't hear a peep about them. That's Oklahoma who is 42nd in the country right now, according to the composite, but they have Jackson Arnold. They got their quarterback next year. They've got the, the perception is that they've got that guy and now they'll figure out the rest of it from here. And Florida fans are melting down because Rashada was supposed to be that guy. And now that he's not going to be, there's really nobody left for them to go get unless they can turn someone from one of these other schools. So that in my opinion is the big issue. Now we can talk about whether, deserve it or not but that that is the crux of why those florida fans are melting down even if a lot of them aren't articulating it that way and, and that's why i don't think it's a big issue and uh, felix you may remember this i want to say it was it may have been josh pate that said this earlier this week I, i've been catching up on podcasts since i was off uh last last weekend he talked about like if he had NIL and I'm almost positive it was him at Pate state, like he wouldn't be going after and giving this money to freshmen. He'd be going after guys in the transfer portal. I'll just use Oklahoma as an example. And there will be others. They just landed as Austin mentioned, Jackson Arnold, who's one of the top quarterbacks in the 2023 class. What if Florida goes and gets Nick Evers next year? Because they already have their quarterback set in this year. It's Anthony Richardson. They don't have to get one of freshmen. What happens if they get one of those top guys in 2024? Then, as Austin just mentioned, all this panic goes away. So just because you missed out on Jaden Rashada, I don't think there's any reason to go out and say, Billy Napier's not it. He can't do this, any of that. Like, we've got to give them time. Dude's been there for six months, and we're already saying that he's not going to succeed there just because of one prospect? I So, you know, since I'm a consumer of all of our content, um, the official with Alfred – big wide receiver guy and David, who you heard at the beginning had the pit quarterback coach on recently. And he said that they locked, they already got their guy locked in for this year. They think they have a guy for next year. Like they know who they have ahead of time. And when you don't have that quarterback, that quarterback is the one that's, um, you know, um, cover three talked about this a bunch too, but Elliot, but Elliot is 
when he talks about this like idea that the quarterback is your lead recruiter. You're seeing what happens with Arch Manning. When you don't have a quarterback locked in, it goes downstream through the whole class. So losing out on Rashada is not that big of a deal in terms of the prospect he is or that they're not going to be covered. It's that they don't have anybody to like rally, organize, say, hey, come play with me. You saw what I did in high school. They're missing that lead, like a lead recruiter at the position. And I think that's what's really concerning for um, for Florida. And I think that should worry fans. I, I, I do, because there's not another quarterback in this class that I think they're going to get at that same impact. I, I don't know why we're not sounding the alarm for Michigan, who just won the Big Ten, beat Ohio State. Their class right now for 2023 is ranked 55, and Dante Moore is not going to Michigan. There's just no way that he, he's going to Michigan when he's got Oregon and Texas A&M looking for him. So this is also a school that is not going to get uh, uh, the quarterback. And, you know, we can Billy Napier doesn't have a track record with Florida, Jim Harbaugh has been there a long time and he can't even get a kid that's playing 45 minutes from his campus. I mean, shouldn't we, Matthew, shouldn't we be sounding the alarm on Michigan's recruiting or lack thereof? I mean, I hate that I'm about to utter this sentence, but they beat Ohio state last year and their recruiting has not been that great leading up until this anyways, either. So I don't class last year. Okay, that was, but there's also time too. Like that's the other thing we don't know that Napier doesn't get him. We don't know that Harbaugh doesn't. Like I just mentioned, Austin. You, I don't know if you still have it pulled up so you can tell me. It's not enough to top of my head. I don't even know where Alabama's class is, but Saban doesn't kick all his stuff in till now. It's late June, early July that he really starts going after his his recruits. Now, granted. Maybe because of NIL. I don't know. I feel like we're seeing a lot more commitments earlier than we ever have. I don't remember there being this many commitments last year early on. Maybe it's just we weren't as plugged in as we are now. I don't know. I'm not going to panic on Harbaugh because they already have J.J. McCarthy. I never thought they were going to get more anyways. I'm kind of glad that they're not. I also don't know, and I guess I'll, I'll throw this back to you. How much longer do we think Harbaugh is going to stay there? Because I think that infatuation with Minnesota was a big deal. That might be a reason why recruits are not willing to go there because they think Harbaugh may leave. It feels like every year he's on his way out the door. I think it was a tough sell in the first place for any offensive skill position players that we're talking about. And then you have him potentially jumping ship um, to the NFL. That made it, that made it all the worse. So, um, uh, yeah, let's let's consider Jim Harbaugh and Billy Napier there at Florida. The last thing, and losing out on CJ Carr, as, as Sal <laughs> adds in the comments, I mean, the grandfather, or excuse me, the grandson of Lloyd Carr, longtime uh, Michigan head coach and national championship winner there at Michigan, um, Jim Harbaugh was not even able to secure him. And CJ Carr might not even play at, at Notre Dame. Uh I want to move to the Manning Passing Academy that took place last week. And actually, there's just one guy that I want to talk about. Um, of all the players there at the Manning Pass- Passing Academy, Bryce Young, Will Levis, according to 24-7, the player that stood out the most was Anthony Richardson. Was Anthony Richardson with his – I mean, you would think that he is someone who's going to perform – in shorts and t-shirt because he has the cannon for an arm. But there's just this kind of growing momentum behind him 
that Austin has continued to reject and just not buy it. At the end of the day, Chris Moxley, whenever he comes out, do you see Anthony Richardson being a first-round NFL draft pick? So if you had to put, put money a, on it right now. Um, no. If I had to put money on it, no. But I, when I release my next mock, I will probably still have him in the first round because I think that teams are tantalized by his skill set. I think that he is, like you said, he's the type of player who impresses in these sorts of drills, the same way that Malik Willis did last year. Malik Willis, cannon of an arm a guy who's incredibly mobile. Like Richardson is a different type of athlete than Malik Willis is like Malik Willis is a great athlete. Richardson is just different. Like there are not a lot of athletes like him. But we there's not, a, we there's, there's no way to describe him other than di- yeah, like different. He, he, can't, yeah. he He's really, really an impressive athlete. So I think some team will probably bet on his skill set. Um, the same article you're talking about teams were doing the same thing about, or uh, scouts and everything. were saying the same thing about Will Levis. Will Levis. Yeah. And, so, That's right. and so I I think it's worth having a discussion because they're they're not similar players necessarily, but like Will Evans is the same type of toolsy guy. He's got the size, he's got the athleticism, he's got a can for an arm, he's really impressive. Um I don't know how I feel about either of those guys. They they so, both have a lot to prove. I'll say that. I think as crazy as this is gonna sound to say, I think Levis is closer. I know for a fact, and I don't, I want to say it was cover three podcast, Bud Elliott mentioned on there as well. And I I have talked to people who've said the same thing that he got a second round draft grade last year. That's a big deal. Hey, I'm with you. I understand why you're shaking your head. No Felix, but as Moxley mentioned, we've seen them bet on guys like that. He's got the size. He's an athlete. He's got a big arm. My biggest fear with Richardson is, yeah, like I, that throw that he whatever it was seventy five plus yards or whatever the wide receiver dropped by is a amazing throw, but he doesn't do that on the football field. So I really don't care that he's doing it in shorts and a t shirt. Like on the football field, he's not shown any kind of accuracy. He's looked amazing, and yeah, he's shown like a handful of of throws. Felix, I'll give you that a handful. My biggest issue: you go look at what Billy Napier has done throughout his history. He doesn't really ask his quarterbacks to pass a whole lot. He doesn't develop them as passers. It's all about that running system with his quarterbacks. If Richardson doesn't develop better than a 58% completion passer, he's not getting drafted in the first round. We just that, saw that. that. Admi- Go ahead. That admittedly is a concern of mine, and I've had this argument with uh, Florida fan Adam Lewis. Um, I thought that Dan Mullen d- designed some great plays for – Anthony Richardson, you know, having a run threat and then pulling back and pass, like just some very, very creative plays. And I would never think of Billy Napier as being a creative play caller. Um, So that's going to be an interesting thing, especially if Florida is not going to be able to recruit, then it's going to be on Anthony Richardson's shoulders, maybe for this year and in uh, 2023. Austin, anything you want to? Levis and Richardson have the same issues. It's 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 mental and pocket presence, and I think accuracy kind of ties into both of those things. Um, I, I think Anthony Richardson is really poor at identifying pre-snap stuff. He gets himself crushed a lot when he doesn't necessarily need to. And uh, Will Levis just locks onto targets like crazy. And I think of the two, Richardson's is more fixable. I've never seen a quarterback who gets locked onto stuff ever fix that issue. Um, 
I, I, but I, I think both of them are se severe enough um, that they're not markedly different than than Malik Willis, who I spent so much time campaigning against last year. Um, so I, I won't be be uh, going after either of them in drafts this year. Especially they they were good they were good values last year. Value shifts and now now they're no longer values. I no longer want them. I think that's the big thing. I would have. And I actually have a couple of Anthony Richardsons from last offseason. I actually have a team with Anthony Richardson from two years ago that I drafted because it was free. It was sure. Why not? Now, if I spent a fourth round pick on this dude, I'm, there's no way I'm doing that. Richardson was one of the guys on 24-7 where they had all of their athletic testing. Sometimes you get, you know, one or two uh, things. But Richardson had everything. And everything was like, this dude is a ridiculous athlete. So uh, we're, it, it's going to be fun tracking his journey down there at Florida. All right. Not a lot of content today. Austin, you tweeted this out. We saved it for the show. What is a life-changing amount? What is, what, what's the tweet? What is the lowest amount you would think is a quote unquote life-changing amount of money? I've written down my answer so that we don't see everyone's answer. Um, Chris, do you have yours? Yeah, I do. What's, what's your, what's your figure? Three million dollars is mine. Three million Jesus. is the lowest that you would take for a life-changing amount of money. So Ooh. I I define life-changing as a few things. I can buy a really nice house downtown in a major city that is paid off, and I don't have to work again. Hmm. Okay. So I I I will invest a bunch, and I'll I'll be set basically. So like I, I'm doing the math about like. Okay, what's my salary? How many years do I have to work? Like all, all of that. I think three and a half million is my number because I want to get a nice house. And I like living downtown in the city and those houses are expensive. And that is three million dollars though. That, I mean, I can, $10,000 could change my life easily though. Like $1,000 I mean, tomorrow, I'm, I could change my life. You say that but like $3 million would go away quick. So I kind of I understand what my – like if you didn't like Mox's answer, you're not going to like mine at all. I, I thought What's I was going to be on the low end. I went 10 mil. I factored a lot. Mil? You guys are yeah. crazy. I factored a lot I think me and Austin's numbers are going to be very similar to each other. That's because well, Austin I, already I, has like 500 million. Yeah, exactly. Bank. Like Austin's, <laughs> sit, Austin's got 10 mil probably underneath his chair right there. He's about to pay his butler for the week. Like I'm – my, I looked at it from a different kind of view. Uh, I looked at it as, you know, obviously having two kids, like being able to put something aside so they're taking care of the rest of their lives, pay off my house, wife's car, allow both of us to retire, uh, develop some kind of uh, fund for a C2C so we can develop our own college site. That was another reason why I put the 10 mil there because it was 4 million or something like that for sleepers. So I, I was thinking big brain here. Uh, and then also being able to like pay off my parents' house, brothers, sisters' houses, stuff like that. So that's why I went 10 million. You or me next, Austin. I didn't write down a number, but I what's, think what's like, I, I for me, I, I I'm gonna say 500 grand, and I'm gonna say that's is that what you put too? I can't. I can't fucking read that. Um, Five hundred thousand. Yeah. <laughs> um, then I would like to change my answer. Actually, can I change my answer? I don't want to have the same answer. You. Four hundred ninety-nine thousand ninety-nine dollars. No, you. Why not? Your justification may be different, though. Uh, it would basically pay off all of my debt and my wife's debt. Like we make enough money now working that, like, at that point, then you know you're able to save, and we could probably we'd buy a house immediately. Like, 
but that that uh just, like just wiping clean the the debt slate is nice it's all student it's not like weird stuff but that's i mean that's very similar to my answer is i not only would i pay off the debt but i could buy a house with what's left over buy it cash and then i would continue to work and you know i would just invest my income essentially so that's my answer financial advice on the debbie debate or not I hate advice, that we discussion. have the same answer this is the worst why, thing that's why? ever happened to me. I don't like agreeing we, with you. We don't. I don't like agreeing with y'all either. But I mean, it is what it is. It was, statistically, it was bound to happen eventually. I mean, we're we're is not like one of those. What what is that like? If you have twenty three people in a room, is that what it is? One at least one of the yeah. two of them share a birthday. Is that yeah. is that the amount? It's one of those. Yeah, if you have enough debates eventually. Yeah. Three million, ten million, five hundred thousand, five hundred thousand. All right, y'all. Right. Peace. You guys are going to be coming and talking to me and Chris after the fact. We got all our money. Side of the field, intercepted by Eli Apple at the twenty-five, and Apple will go to the ground at the thirty-two, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time. As they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown! touchdown Alabama! Devontae Smith! Touchdown Alabama! And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years, their 17th overall. Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks to the end zone. Hunter and Bell caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro, and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill. Just in front of his end zone, has a man out there, it is Ranger, and he's off to the races, nobody will catch him! <laughs> 93 yards for the freshman! I made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry, he'll add to that! Goodbye, touchdown Ohio State. From 52 yards.